Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Uh, if you have your Bibles, please turn to uh, Philemon in chapter 1. We're gonna, it's pretty much a one chapter. We're going to be looking at the whole thing today, and I'm going to try to summarize some parts of it. As you probably heard uh, during the announcements that we're covering the next section of this whole series of goals. Uh, those of you who remember this summer, we've been emphasizing a lot on discipleship, and that's kind of like our target. And so once again, the phrase is what? Discipleship is about relationship. And we've been focusing on our relationship with God. And that's why we went over the book of Jonah, so that help you to kind of get a little bit more of God's heart for us. And through that, we can respond in obedience. And then we talk uh, this next four weeks, as Pastor Bo mentioned, we're going to be talking about our relationship with others. And I'm excited about this because we're going to talk about friendships like David and Jonathan. We're going to talk about uh, just even contemporaries and peers and how to relate in that way as we talk about Elizabeth and Mary and just looking at their lives and their relationship. We're going to just focus on different characters in the Bible. And there's one about Isaiah. Isaac and Rebecca about, you know, opposite sex relation. I know you're not interested in that, so you don't have to show up. You know, you don't have to show up for that one. Um, but uh, we're going to be talking about that as well as it affects our relationship with other people and even with God. So we want to make sure we talk about that. And then uh, we're going to just try to focus in today on our relationship with other people in, in, in the topic of forgiveness. This is always one of the most difficult topics to talk about because there's a lot of us in this room, if not all, who have someone in our lives right now that we cannot forget. That's why, don't raise your hand. I just want you to think about this for a moment. Is there somebody right now that have hurt you? Maybe just recently or in the past, someone who has hurt you, whether with their words, uh, which hurts a lot. You could say that sticks and stones break my bones, but your words won't hurt me. But you know that's not true. Some of you, it's been something that's more physical. Uh, some of you, it's more psychological. That's why I'm asking you not to raise your hand because I'm almost confident there's at least one person you can think of who have hurt you. Now, I'm going to ask you another question that's kind of related. And I'm wondering how many of you know of someone that you hurt? And it's interesting because a lot of us probably don't know some of the people we have hurt. Whether they have never confronted us, they have never addressed it with us. But sometimes we go through life not knowing the people that we have hurt. So I would definitely say to the first question, there are more people who have been hurt by someone because you feel it, you know it, you know the pain. You know that angst that you feel in your life and that anger and the bitterness that comes forth from people that have hurt you. But to flip it around and to ask yourself, have I hurt anybody? Have I said anything? Have I done anything or didn't do something that I needed to do, I should have done, that you did not do? That in that way, you have hurt somebody. Today, we're going to focus in on Philemon and Onesimus, and the Apostle Paul. These three characters intertwine together and cover this topic of forgiveness. 
I'm going to show you uh, this video, and some of you probably have seen it or you've heard of it many times before. But this video is about a situation that happened back about maybe now it's about six years ago. Uh, pretty much what happened was that in Charleston, South Carolina, uh, there was a 21-year-old person by the name of Dylan Roof who out of his races and just a lot of the ideology that was completely not biblical, decided one day on a Wednesday, particularly on a Wednesday night, to enter into a black church, an African-American Episcopalian church. On a Wednesday night, they're having Bible study. So he casually walks in as if he's interested in this Bible study. And as they're sitting in a circle and they're covering the Bible, as they were praying, he pulls out a gun. He ends up killing nine people. And what I want you to focus in on is not so much, the, uh, so much the atrocity that happened, but I want you to focus on what happens afterwards from the members who one person survived because she just pretended to be dead, but from the family members who lost loved ones. Uh, the pastor passed away. Uh, there, there was uh, some level of uh, government official who was there. But I want you to listen to the, just a painful uh, expression of them communicating their heart to this 21-year-old who did something that is unfathomable. So let's watch this together. What a powerful story. And if I'm honest with myself, I don't know if I could forgive that person. In fact, knowing my human nature... I would want to exact revenge. I'll probably find out where all his family member lives and do whatever I needed to do. Of course, that's when I'm not thinking as a pastor and thinking as a gangster or some other vigilante. But I think you might never kill somebody, but I think there are many of us that in our hearts we would want to kill them because what they have done to us, how they have hurt us. I think forgiveness is one of the probably one of the most powerful forces in this world. But that's the thing. It's such a powerful thing that not everyone can do it, apart from the grace of God. When you think about your life, think about those people that have hurt you and those right now, currently, that people that you cannot give. One thing that we fail to understand is that it always forgiveness always leaves people dumbfounded and amazed in, in just in wonder. How can you forgive somebody who has done something that horrific to one of your family members. Now, I'm not going to belittle some of your hurts. I think some of you have been hurt deeply. But when I think about some of us, hopefully, Lord forbid, you will never experience something like that. But you think about a person who might have slighted you 
or boss who said something or didn't do something that he was supposed to. Maybe someone in life group, they did something or they didn't do something that you wanted them to do. It might have been a leader. And some of you to this day still cannot go get over that particular issue. Once again, I do not know what you're going through, what you went through, but I'm just talking about some of the smaller things that we allow to creep into our hearts and that bitterness and that anger when you put it all in light of eternity and even watching something like this, we have to confess it's really nothing. It's just that our pride got wounded. There was something that we wanted that we didn't get. In fact, it makes us look very petty when it comes to something of this magnitude. The reason why forgiveness is such a powerful force is because it reflects the gospel. What Jesus Christ did for us. Because what we did deserve was complete death, both physical and spiritual, and complete separation from God because we have sinned against the holy God. And he has every single right to exact justice towards us because he's a just God and a holy God and a righteous God. But instead of us paying that price, Jesus Christ came into this world, lived the perfect life that you and I could not live so that he could die on the cross and become the perfect sacrifice, sinless person to take our place. So when he died on the cross, when God looked upon that cross, he saw the the sins of the world there and the perfect lamb of God, the representation to take away the sins of the world was there. So no longer now, those of you who are believers in Jesus Christ, are we accounted as guilty, but we're made righteous. I love what C.S. Lewis says in his book, The Weight of Glory. He writes this. He says, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable, because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. This is the reason why the more you understand the gospel, the more you're going to be able to do things that you cannot do on your own strength or power. The more you cannot forgive, you're just acting natural in the sinful nature. The more you hate people, the more you get angry, All those things are natural that you don't have to be a believer to experience that. The world experiences that. But to forgive and to love those people who have hurt you, that is extraordinary. And that can only come from God. So we can excuse, or if I could rephrase it, if we can forgive some of those things that hurt us so deeply, It's a reflection that we understand that how much we have hurt God, but yet he still loves us deeply. As we start off our relationship with others section for the next four weeks, I really want to focus on Philemon, Onesimus, and Paul and what it's going to transpire and what it's going to require of us 
to genuinely live out the gospel message. In fact, I'm just going to give you a heads up. What we're talking about today is going to be very painful. Because for some of you, you just ignore some of the things that you're going through in your heart with busyness, trying to forget. Some of you are numbing yourself, medicating yourself with drugs, alcohol, entertainment. All those things are signs. Any addictions, those things are signs that there are some things in your life that you haven't really dealt with. Because it's easier not to think about it. That's why even thinking about Father's Day, some of us, we're not going to call our parents. We're not going to call our dads. Because a lot of your hurt comes from your dad or your mom. This past month for Mother's Day. So the one thing that I want us to remember is simply this. If you look up here, it's, it's, we must remember God's goodness to have a heart of forgiveness. You will never be able to forgive anybody unless you realize how good God has been to you when he did not have to be good to you. And I'm praying that as we talk about this important topic and difficult topic, that God will convict us through the Holy Spirit. And he will speak to us with his word, with the truth, so our lives can be transformed. So let me go ahead and just talk about two things in this passage. I'm going to just break it up in verses 1 through 7, and then from 8 all the way to 25. Two things that we must learn about remembering God's goodness to have a heart of forgiveness. The first thing is this, that we must embrace God's goodness, that we have to embrace it. In fact, part of embracing something is that you believe in it. Part of embracing something is that you really need it and you see the need for it, so you're embracing it to say, I welcome this in my life. Let's go ahead and turn to Philemon, and I'm going to read 1 through 7, that first two sections there, and then we'll kind of talk about how we must embrace the goodness of God. This is what the Word of God says. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I heard of your love and of the faith that you have towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Let me kind of dissect this a little bit so that we can understand this idea of how we must embrace God's goodness. In verse 1 through 3, we see Apostle Paul, he starts off this letter, and it's, it's the familiar traits that we see in most of his letters that he wrote to Ephesians, the people of Ephesus, and just different places that we see. 
um, in Philippi, uh, to the people of Philippi. And so he gives this greeting to Philemon. And it, the interesting that I think that you need to note is that to the church that meets in his home. Now, why is this significant? Because we realized back then they didn't have these big churches. They were pretty, mi- pretty much micro churches. So they're, they're like life group. Everyone say life group. Be part of one, okay? But it's, it's like life group. It's like a micro church. They met in their homes. They met in what we will today in their apartment or in smaller rooms. They would meet together and have church. And they would do church. Because it's interesting that now that means that Philemon is either a leader there. We don't know for sure. But he, usually to have a house back then and inviting people over, it must be pretty big enough to hold people. So some people, some commentators believe that he was a wealthy person of influence. But regardless, what I want you to notice is that this letter is written by Paul addressing Philemon and in that church that meets in his home. You know, there's something important about being in community. That sometimes it's, it's very difficult to keep on allowing your bad behavior to go on. In fact, I'm going to be direct with you this morning and say this. Those of you who are not part of community and you just enjoy coming in Sunday and that's all you have, I mean, you're doing your religious duty, but I will say this. You will have no one in your life to tell you and address things that will help you to grow in your discipleship. Because you could be a jerk and still be a jerk and no one says anything. You could be a jerk in our life group and we'll tolerate you because we're trying to love on you. But after a while, if it starts affecting people, we'll say something. Can I get a good amen? amen. <laughs> Some of you are like, amen, that jerk. You know, and if you're the jerk, you're like, huh, huh? Those kind of di- disruptive behavior. Like, we'll tolerate a little bit, but if it starts affecting out of the people, uh, we'll talk with you and say, hey, is there anything going on? Because that wasn't very helpful. That's why sometimes to address issues of forgiveness, having a community helps us. Because if you're the guy and the girl and you went out and things didn't work out, then what happens? You don't just affect you too. You affect everyone else who's connected to you and connected to that person. That's why I've seen so many times whenever people are in a relationship in a church, either when they break up, either both of them leave or one of them leaves. It just happens. There's always those rare occasions where they both stay by the grace of God. Sometimes you want one of them to leave. But anyway, by the grace of God. See, this is what happens. Pastors can't even be honest here. Anyway, we love you so much. Even though you pain us, we love it. We love pain. Bring it on. Come on, people. I can't even be real over the pulpit. You know how it is. They're always complaining. They're always blaming other people. They never take responsibility. And you're like, oh, my Lord. That's not even my point. It wasn't even in my notes. I don't know why I felt led to share that. So if that's you, the Holy Spirit speaking. There are a couple things I want you to notice in verse 4 through 7. So we kind of talked a little bit about the introduction in this letter. But I want you to notice what we see in verse 4 through 7. The thing that you notice that we're challenged to embrace the goodness of God is that in verse 4 through 7, you will notice that Philemon, he lives for Jesus. 
And when you're able to embrace the goodness of God, you're going to want to live for Jesus. Paul remembers Philemon in prayer. He says, every time I think about you, my heart is just so thankful, and I pray with thanksgiving. And what does he pray for? Thanksgiving towards Philemon's love and also his faith in Jesus Christ. And it says here, Paul keeps on hearing about Philemon's action that flows out of a devotion to Christ. Because Philemon understood the gospel. He understood what Jesus Christ did for him. In fact, Paul encourages Philemon to live out, to keep on living out his faith for Jesus and keep on growing in the gospel. Let me read a different translation so you'll understand what I'm trying to say here. And the yellow sections, please read along with me. It says simply this in uh, verse 5 and 6 in the New Living Translation. Because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's, God's people, and I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. So what Paul is saying is, Philman, listen, I've been hearing about how you really love Jesus. You're devoted to him and you're living your life for him. I want you to keep on doing that as you begin to understand and experience more of all the good things that are in Jesus Christ. And when you think about this, these two verses, you realize this is so true. Because when I think about my life, when I keep on growing in my understanding about all the good things that God has done for me, when I didn't deserve it, when I begin to understand how his grace works where I don't earn or deserve anything, when I think about his mercy, which is I should deserve something because I've sinned against God, but he withholds from judge, judgment and he withholds from sending his wrath. When I think about all these good things, what does it do? I know for myself what it does is that it makes me more humble. It makes me more loving. It makes me want to live for Jesus more because I realize I don't deserve this, but God, you have done this for me. This is what Paul is saying. I've heard about you doing some incredible things, your generosity, your loving people, you're living by faith. He goes, I want you to keep on doing more of it as you grow in your understanding and your knowledge of all the good things that you have in Christ Jesus. Now, let me say something else that I think is important. It also translates, listen to me, this is important. It also translates, as you experience moral and understand more of the goodness of God, it translates into sharing God's goodness that you're receiving with others, which will impact other people's lives. Well, how do you get that, pastor? Well, let me just read it in different translations to kind of tease it out a little bit. Listen to the Amplified Version. I pray that the sharing of your faith may become what? Come on. Effective and powerful because of your accurate knowledge of every good thing which is ours in Christ. Listen to what the Living Bible says. And I pray that as you share your faith with others, it will what? Grip their lives too as they see the wealth of good things that you, that in you, that come from Christ Jesus. When you experience the goodness of God that you do not deserve, that I do not deserve, then what you want to do is you want to know more of that. You get humbled and you realize, God, I want to know you more. 
not only that, but you want to share this goodness to other people because it's impacting your life and you want it to impact other people. So now here's a deduction that I'm making. It's not 100%, but I would say it's pretty, pretty right on. It's simply this. Whenever you meet people who have no heart for people, when you meet people who don't care about evangelism, don't care about mission, don't care about the lost people, you would have to seriously wonder to yourself, have they experienced the gospel, first, first thing? And number two, how deeply do they understand the gospel? What I'm saying is this. You cannot be a Christ follower and be apathetic to the lost and to other people who are in need of God's goodness and mercy and grace. Can I get a good amen to that? That's what Paul's trying to say. You're going to share your faith more and more with other people of all the good things that you've received in Christ. That's why I, I, I love it when I'm able to just watch and see, observe there are people in our church that have been inviting like their whole primary school friends. Like every week in life group, there's like a new person. I'm like, and then so I talk to them. I'm like, oh, so how did you find out about our church or our life group? They're like, oh, so-and-so. I'm like, oh. Next week, a new person comes, and then I say like, oh, you know, this is your first time? They're like, yeah. Like, how did you find out about this group? They're like, oh, so-and-so. So I'm like, this so-and-so, it's really so-and-so. Like, wow, they're sowing in a lot of seeds. Okay, let's pray and we'll close out here. Come on now. Those of you who hate puns, you're like, oh, I hate this. I hate this. Can we, can we end this sermon really quick? They're sowing in seeds. They're, they're, they're planting. And then they're bringing them into the community, the garden, if you will, and they're getting fed and nourished and they're experiencing the gospel. I'm wondering if people can see the truth and the power of the gospel in your life by the way you love Jesus and the way you share God's goodness with others. You could come up with all the apologetical reasons and all the arguments, philosophical arguments about Jesus Christ and the existence and his resurrection. But there is nothing more powerful than to love people who don't deserve God's love. Nothing. Because you can't argue against it. Well, they could question your motive. But when you're consistent, and they keep on experiencing this over and over again, even if they're a church goer, but they never trusted in Jesus Christ, and they realize, oh, this, is some, this community is a little bit different from what I've experienced before. That's why one of the best ways to experience love and one of the best ways to be able to give love is being a part of a life group. That's why our church is not built on Sundays. Sundays is more of a time of celebration of all that God is doing on, in our life groups. Where our church thrives is in our life group. That's why whenever I talk to some of these pastors and I get to meet some of these people and they're like, man, how's your church been in light of this COVID? And I'm just like, by God's grace, we're growing. Because our whole church wasn't fixated on a Sunday because we've been emphasizing the importance of life group. And so that's perfect. Even though we have to Zoom, even though we have to meet in smaller groups, the groups of four in an apartment, but we're all Zooming in together. We're made for these micro churches and these smaller churches, even through a pandemic of COVID-19. 
You know what else you see here? Not only did he live for Jesus, we could tell, with his faith and love. Man, this dude, he loved people. He loved others. In verse 7, we will notice that Philemon loved people by bringing what? He brought joy, comfort, and refreshment to others. <laughs> Come on, everyone say that. Joy, joy. comfort, comfort, and refreshment. And it's not like sandwiches and, you know, juice. Refreshment being just being refreshed. That Philemon brought the sense of being refreshed to people. What he did was he displayed the gift of hospitality and just being a blessing to others. Why? This makes sense. Because when you experience the goodness of God, you just want to be a blessing to other people. We always talk about that in our church. We're blessed to... Be a blessing. I want you to notice that this is important. Some of you might have not caught this if you've been brought up in the church and you read this epistle before. But the word refreshed is the same word that Jesus used to invite people to come to his presence who need rest. That's why in the book of Matthew, I'm going to read it from the message translation. Many of you know the ESV and the NIV, but I want to read it from the message translation to give a little twist to this. So read the highlighted section with me, it simply says this. Are you tired? Worn out? Burnt out on religion? Are you sick and tired of studying? Do you hate the ordinary life of going to work every single day? And now I'm adding a little SKV here. Uh, <laughs> the Seth Kim version. But are you struggling? Are things hard? Jesus says, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Some of you are like, I can't wait until school's out. I can't wait until my uh, holidays. I can't wait because you want to rest. But don't raise your hand, but you know what I'm talking about. How many of you have ever gone on a vacation and you realize you need a vacation from a vacation? You're like so exhausted. Or you're on a break and all of a sudden, what did you do? You just watch all the Netflix shows. You just scroll through all the stuff and you just feel blah. And you're like, wait a minute. This is my holiday. This is my break. And I should be refreshed. Huh. Go read the Bible because it says real rest. You're resting, but you're not really resting. That's why you're tired. You're drained. But real rest comes in, in the presence of Jesus. Listen to what the Passion Translation says. It says this, Are you weary, carrying heavy burden? Come to me and I will refresh your life for I am your oasis. Mm, mm, mm. Yes, sir. I am your oasis in a desert time. So think about it. What Paul is saying is, Philman, you're the man. Because not only do you love Jesus, because I can see your faith and your love, and it's growing, and the gospel, is, understand it more and more. But he's like, you really love people. Because you are being like an oasis to people. You are literally refreshing others around you. How many of you know of somebody who refreshes you? Can I get a good Amen. Okay, not too many. So we gotta, you got to pray hard. 
Now, let me, let me reverse the question, and I think we'll have, we might hear a little bit louder. How many of you know people who drain you? Can I get a good amen to that? Yes. Lord Jesus, we need refreshment right now. But you know what I'm saying. You know more people who drain you than those people who refresh you. But here's Philemon who literally refreshes people. Joy, comfort, refreshment. Why is this? Because it's connected to his love for Jesus. As Philemon was spiritually refreshed by Jesus, he's now able to refresh others. You cannot give something that you do not have. Listen to me carefully. That's why needy people can never be able to pour into you. They will just take. And I'm telling you, watch out for those needy people. I'm not saying not loving those who are in need of love and God's love. That's not what I'm trying to communicate. But some of you need to take some time away. Why? Because they're so needy. They're draining you. And if that person is not being refreshed by God, they will not be able to pour into you. In the same way, if you are a leader or you serve in a ministry team and you're feeling burnt out and you're doing all this stuff, then that means that you are not growing in your relationship with Christ. He is not your oasis. He is not refreshing you. But you're doing all these external things to somehow prop yourself as if you're a good Christian. But Jesus doesn't want your sacrifice. He wants your heart. He wants your heart. That's why to obey is better than sacrifice. Because he wants the heart of obedience to love him, to love others. I'm wondering if one of the reasons why we're not a blessing or a refreshment to others is because we're not being refreshed in our relationship with Christ. I'm wondering if some of us are not able to love others because we're not being restored and refreshed by the love of God. We cannot live our lives for Christ or others in our own strength or power. We just cannot. That's why we need to be connected to Jesus and to abide in him regularly, to get recharged. In the same way, many of you would not just leave your phone uncharged the whole night and then start using it again because you understand, you're just like, "Uh uh-oh. You know that feeling. But we do it all the time in our relationship with God. As you're connected to Jesus, And as you're abiding in him regularly, you're going to start understanding more of his goodness. And as you understand more of his goodness, you're going to be able to love other people. So now, here's a question. Why was Paul saying all this? What was the point of just saying, you're the man? Philemon, you're the man. What's the point? Well, we'll find out in the rest of these verses. So here's the second point that I want you to remember. Because we, we talked about how we must what? Embrace God's goodness. And as we embrace it because he's so good, it makes us live for him. It causes us to love others. What I want you to see here, and the reason why Paul was saying what he was saying to Philemon, was the second thing was that we must express God's goodness. You can't just embrace it and grow through it, but you got to express it to others and this is the thing that I've noticed more and more as I'm getting older and just deepening my walk with God I'm realizing that there are people in my life that have lived Christian life longer than me and the older they get and the genuineness of their faith it really begins to show 
because they're able to genuinely express this love in a tangible way. What I find sometimes alarming, and this is where I need to guard my own heart, is that there are people when they get older, instead of getting more humble, they get more proud, and also they become less loving. Right now, many of you are fairly young, and so it's kind of like, okay, but I'm, I'm telling you, use this as a marker for the future. The more loving you are, the more you'll realize that God is doing something in your life, and you're just expressing what He's doing. That's why some of you who cannot love or forgive some people, it just shows that you just don't understand the gospel, and you need to keep on growing. And I think all of us will hopefully are humble enough to confess that we can all grow. Pastor said, I, I can grow more in loving some of the unlovable people and expressing God's goodness to them, even though they don't deserve it, even though they've hurt me, even though they said certain things, to be able to still love them and care for them and want the best for them. So what do you notice here? Well, as we're talking about expressing God's goodness, guess what Paul does? Now it makes sense why he says you're the man. I want to mention a couple things that we need in order to express God's goodness to others. We can't just express it because it's going to be our human strength. It's going to be like ulterior motives and all this stuff. But there's two things that we need to try to like comprehend or obtained by God's grace in our lives in order to be able to express God's goodness to others. The first thing is this. We need a sense of perspective. Everyone say perspective. perspective. We need perspective. Let's go ahead and read verse 8 through 16. I'm going to read this whole section here. It says this. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ, this is Paul speaking, to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake... I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. I appeal to you for my, my child, Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I am sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this perhaps is why he was parted for you for a while, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. Just good stuff. One of the first things that we begin to see in this story is that Paul is making an appeal to Philemon. In verse 8 and 9, as we have just read, we see that Paul says that he's able to use his authority to command him. Because this shows us that he probably led Philemon to the Lord. So with that spiritual authority, he could have commanded him to do something. 
which is not his own idea, but it's biblical. But instead, he says what? For love's sake, because I love you. I'm appealing to you. I'm asking you. I'm making a plea. And what is his appeal? To receive Onesimus, a fellow brother in Christ, rather than a slave or bondservant, we see here, who is in need of a punishment. So let me pause here and give some background so you understand. We will see later on, but we know the story fairly well. Pretty much Philemon, as I said, he was a pretty wealthy man. And back then, during the Roman times, even amongst the Greeks, what they would do is they would have slaves or servants in their homes. Now, this is not Bible's way of endorsing slavery, but that was the culture back then. And so, once again, in that culture, every time you see this, these kinds of issues that we see now that we will be up in arms, the gospel transforms relationships. That's the power of the gospel. And then with that gospel, there have been changes in society. But that's not the point. The point is, this was the culture back then, and the culture specifically said, if there is a slave or a bondservant who runs away, or who steals from you and runs away, then the law, the Roman law says, you could punish them to death. So think about this for a moment. As Paul is making this appeal, we begin to see the story unfold. You know, those of you who watch Netflix or any of these movies, you see something happen right now, and then it's three months earlier. That's what's happening right now. Three months earlier, or like one year earlier. So what was happening? Well, Philemon, he had all these bond servants, and Onesimus, who happens to be one of them, decided to steal something and just run away. And the beauty of the story is that as he was running away, we don't know how he got into prison, but he was in the same prison with whom? Apostle Paul. <laughs> Coincidence. Chance. Good luck. <laughs> Hopefully some of you guys know it's, I'm being sarcastic. Because in our church, we don't believe in luck. We don't believe in chance. We don't believe in coincidences. God incidences, yes, but not coincidences. So he happens to be, by chance, I'm putting that in quotes, in the same prison as Paul. And Paul's like, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know what he did. <laughs> I would have been like, wow. Juicy steak. Anyway, so I'm like, wow. Here, here's Paul, probably in the same prison, and he's talking to him, hey, what's up, man? What are you in here for? How long? Probably Paul in his winsome and eloquent way, because he was kind of like a, he wasn't the best orator, because we see that in 1 Corinthians, but, you know, he was a really intellectual man. So he was able to try to convince Onesimus that you think you're in chains? Huh. There are other chains that you're in, brother. Spiritual chains, uh-huh. And you can be set free. And somehow, Onesimus becomes a Christ follower in prison. Amazing. Amazing. So here is Paul now, still a prisoner of the Lord, for the Lord. He now brings Onesimus to Christ spends time with him, 
They probably got to know each other, played mahjong in prison. And as they were getting to know one another, I'm sure Onesimus began to share his story, his life's testimony. Um, Paul, I don't think I've ever told you this, but I'm a runaway slave. And as you were talking and talking about all your journeys, you mentioned the name Philemon, and that's my boss, or that's the person that's in charge. Paul's like, huh? Yeah, so I don't know what to do. Now I'm a Christ follower like you, and I'm a Christ follower like my boss that I ran away from, that I stole. I don't know what's going to happen to me, because you know the law, Paul. If I go back, Philemon might kill me. And Paul's like, hold up. I don't know if he's going to kill you. Because if he kills you, I'll kill him. No, he didn't say that. <laughs> he's not that kind of mafia guy. He simply said, let me make this appeal. Because I know Philemon. I know his love. I know his faith. I know his love for other people. I'm, gonna, and I'm not going to command him, but I am going to appeal to him. For love's sake. And Paul communicates to Onesimus, hey, I think you should go back. Because as you heard this gospel message, one of the beautiful things about the gospel is reconciliation. If you can be reconciled to your boss or to your employer, then it will be one of the most powerful testimonies of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But Paul, you don't understand. Like, the law says I can get killed if I go back. Don't worry, I'm going to make an appeal to Philemon, but you need to understand it is your responsibility to reconcile. You need to apologize. You ran away. Now, albeit that you were not a believer in Jesus Christ and you did this, but now you are a follower of Jesus and you need to make it right. You need to take responsibility and make it right. Go and reconcile with Philemon. And the part that I love, and just this is Paul's way, is that as he's writing this appeal to Philemon, what does he say in verse 15 and 16? I hope you caught it. Because I'm talking about we need a perspective. We need to understand the sovereignty of God, that God's in control, that God uses even people's sin to accomplish his purpose. In verse 15 and 16, listen to it again, and I'm going to read it from the NIV so you can look at it from a different angle. He says this, perhaps, everyone say perhaps. perhaps. You've heard of this before, amen? This word perhaps, you see it all throughout Scripture. Perhaps God did this for a reason. Perhaps what happened to me was for the glory of God. Perhaps, we don't know. We studied this in Jonah. Perhaps God will relent in his anger. We don't know because God is in control. He is sovereign. Perhaps, perhaps the reason he was separated for you, uh, from you for a little while was that you might have him back for good. No longer as a slave, 
but better than a slave, a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Powerful. Can I get a good amen to that? Wow. Paul is saying, Philemon, I'm not going to force you. I'm not going to command you to do this. But it's biblical. It's about Jesus. It's about the gospel. But he says, I'm going to try to appeal to you for love's sake. And what he's saying is, can you get a grip on some perspective? Maybe Onesimus had to separate from you so that he could come to know Jesus Christ. That would have been the only way that he would have come to know Jesus Christ. So God, in his sovereignty, even choosing and using his will, Onesimus' will, human will, to leave and flee, God used that to accomplish the goal of coming to know Jesus Christ. And that he will come back to you because he left you as a slave, but he will now come back to you as a dear brother in Christ. Man, I don't know about you, but what Paul is doing is he's laying down the God's sovereignty and God's perspective pretty thick here. Perhaps. I'm wondering how many of you who have been hurt. That God, not that he caused it, because human beings have their free will to choose, but listen to me carefully, that perhaps that some of the things that you've been hurt by is so that God can use you later on. I say this time and time again, and we'll keep on saying it. You heard that adage in our church, that out of our greatest misery comes forth what? Our greatest ministry. Some of the things that you have gone through and some of the things that you are going through, God is going to use that for his glory. As you humble yourself and acknowledge in his goodness, acknowledging his sovereignty, and acknowledging that, God, you're the one in control, I'm just going to trust in you. It doesn't make sense. It's painful. I don't like it. Everything inside of me, all my narcissistic tendencies and all my self-centeredness says, I do not want that. But God, maybe possibly you have a plan that I don't even understand. Read the Bible with that kind of lens and your eyes will be open like crazy. That's what happened to Joseph when he was sold by his brothers. That's what happened with even Abraham when he was called to leave to be the father of nations. Even if you fast forward why they were scattered through persecution. God even used persecution for them to fulfill Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of this earth. That's why some of you who flunked a class, there's a reason. Well, first of all, you didn't study. That's the one reason. You're lazy, addicted to video games and all this other stuff. But listen, God's going to use that for his glory. Some of you who didn't get that job, you don't know what God was doing. Maybe if you got that job, that you would have been in a very dangerous situation. That was his provision, his providence. The job that you have now, you don't feel like there's a purpose, but maybe there's someone who will come to know Jesus Christ a year later, and you are going to be that witness. Maybe some of you, your heart is broken because you're so proud in your life that you don't love people. You think you're so self-righteous. Now your heart is broken. Now you know what it feels like when other people's heart has been broken through other things. Before you would judge them, oh, look at you, you didn't love Jesus enough, and look at you, all that stuff. But now your heart is broken, and you realize now you can be sympathetic and empathetic to people who are hurting. It's always seeing the good. 
in every situation because God is good. You're not good. I'm not good. No one's good. When you think about some of these people who have hearts for orphans or those who have struggled through bullying, all this stuff, because they've gone through it themselves. And God somehow, by his grace, healed them. As they humbled themselves and said, God, I don't understand it fully. I don't know why I had to go through it, but I'm going to trust in you. And I believe because this is what your word says. I am not saying all the things that you've gone through, it's just, just ignore it. There have been people who have been raped, drugged and raped. There have been people who have lost loved ones through tragedy because of people's stupid mistakes that they've made. I'm not saying excuse it. I'm not saying ignore it. I know some of you are from the African countries. And it recently, it was the anniversary of the genocide that happened in Rwanda. And when you read some of these things and watch some of these documentaries, it's appalling. But you start hear, hearing some of these healing stories and what God did, healing that person. Even those who have been sexually molested. Some of these stories that are coming out. Giving them hope to other people as they find hope in Jesus Christ. That's why we need perspective. If you're going to express God's goodness, you need perspective. Perhaps, just perhaps, we don't know, but perhaps as you're trusting in God, that he has a purpose for everything that's happening. Another thing that we see here as we're trying to express God's goodness to other people is that we need not only perspective, but we need proactiveness. You got to be proactive. I'm going to finish off and read verse 17 all the way through verse, uh, let me just finish it to verse 22, because uh, the 23, 24 is just Greetings and, you know, all that kind of stuff, final greetings. So let me just read verse 17 through 22. Listen to what it says, and we'll finish off here. So if you consider me your partner, receive him, him being Onesimus, receive him as you would receive me. If he was wrong, if he has wronged you at all or owes you anything, charge it to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a, great, a guest room for me, for I am hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. What Paul is simply saying is this. As I'm appealing to you from the perspective of God's sovereignty, that you need this perspective that maybe God sent them away to bring you back as a dear brother. What he's saying is, I can ask you to pay me back. Why? Because if you look at what we just read, you will notice here, this is the important part, I could ask you for your life. What he's simply saying is you would have not known Jesus Christ if God didn't place me in your life. So you owe me something. But I'm not going to appeal to you owe me something. Then it's not the gospel. I could. But it's not the gospel. 
That's why he says what? See me as your what? Partner. And see him as your partner. That word partner, if you study this in the original language, it means kononia, which is fellowship. See it as we are fellowshipping together because of Jesus Christ. That's why you got to see Onesimus in the same way. As I am your partner and I see you as a partner in Christ, I want you to see Onesimus in the same way. Because he's no longer a slave or a bondservant. He is now your brother in Christ. And I want you to notice verse 18 and 19. This is where I'm going to kind of bring it to a close. Listen to me. We see something in these two verses that point to the gospel. When Paul says, charge it to my account, he's using this important word. And that word is this idea of imputation. Imputed or to impute. Some of you are like, what does that mean? It simply means giving somebody something and placing it into their account. So let me look at it this way. One day you're checking your bank account statement and you're like, oh man, I don't have much money. I'm in trouble. I cannot pay you back for that dinner, but I'll get back to you. And you're like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Then you hop on the MTR, you're doing other stuff, and all of a sudden you're like, oh, i got to figure this out. So how much was it that I, I have in my bank? You open it up, and it literally, there's a million dollars in your bank account. Now, after you decide that you're not going to tell anybody and all that, you thought about it, like, maybe I should figure out where it came from. And you realize that someone generous heard about your situation and they gave you the million dollars into your account. Can I ask you how you'll be feeling? You will walk around with your chest up, with your head up high. Not like that. You'll be like, yeah, million bucks. That's me. But the problem is you did nothing to get it. Somebody put something into your account that you had nothing to do with, that you didn't have to pay anything, do anything, but it was imputed. It was reckoned into your account on someone else's behalf. Are you with me? So when Paul says, whatever he stole from you, whatever he owes you, put it into what? My account because I will pay for it. Paul is not only being proactive, but he is providing a way for this reconciliation to happen. And the power of this is it's pointing to Jesus Christ. You and I are Onesimuses. We have sinned against God, and we are in debt. And we have this huge deficit minus because of our sin. And here you are, as you check your bank account, you realize, boom, because Jesus Christ died on your behalf. That should have been your death. That should have been my death, but he died. So now what has happened was that Jesus imputed, gave you, reckoned to you, 
into your account, something that you did not deserve, something that you did not earn. So now every single time when God looks at you, he sees you as righteous because Jesus Christ imputed his righteousness in us. Can I get a good amen to that? We don't do anything. We're not righteous. We're far from it. We're sinful. We've fallen short of his glory, as the Bible says. But when God looks at us, he looks at us as righteous because that has been charged in Jesus' account. He paid for us. This is the reason why forgiveness is so costly. For Jesus to forgive you and for him to forgive me, the price that he paid was death on the cross. That's why when we think about the cross, it should move us because we didn't deserve it. Now can I ask you, once again, who are some people in your life who have hurt you? Because we know what they deserve. They deserve our anger. They deserve our vengeance. They deserve us just wanting to see them suffer in pain. That's what they deserve. They had no right to steal that from us. They had no right to do that to us. But if you know the gospel, you're saying, I'm not going to make you pay. I'm going to forgive you. And I'm putting a million dollars into your account, not because I have the million dollars, but because of Jesus. Your debt is canceled. I forgive you and I love you because Jesus Christ took my sins and my debt and canceled it. And therefore, I am canceling your debt. doesn't mean you're going to forget. Don't, don't ever forget. Whenever you say forgive and forget, that's a lie. In fact, it's not biblical. Some of you are like, huh? I heard that from a Christian. That's a problem. <laughs> Christian who doesn't know the Bible. In the Psalms, it says what? God says he's going to toss our sins as far as the east is from the west. And it says he will no longer remember. He's going to forget our sins. It doesn't mean like God's like, oh, oh, who are you? Oh, I didn't know. Did you do something bad to me? I didn't know. That's not what God is. What God is saying is, no longer would I hold this sin against you. That's what it means to forget, to no longer hold it against them. That's why even in, uh, even in a proverb, excuse me, even in Philippians chapter 3, you notice that. As we finish off with him talking about like, uh, you know, whatever I thought was my gain is all rubbish. And then in chapter 4, you know what it says? It says what? He goes, forgetting, so I'm straining towards what is ahead. Forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead. That word forget doesn't mean mental gymnastics. Oh, forget about all the stuff that happened in the past. No. What Paul is saying, which is the same word, is not allowing the past to hinder what God has for you in the future. That's what it means to forget. You'll never forget the pain. You'll never forget what they did. You'll never forget what they said. But what you are doing is you are letting go of how that affects you. That's what forgiveness is. That you put into their account to say your debt now is canceled. 
I'm no longer going to hold this against you. I'm no longer going to get bitter. I'm going to love you because God loved me through Jesus Christ. And because I understand the gospel more and more in my life, I can forgive you. Even though you've hurt me, even though what you did was wrong, I can love you because Jesus loved me. That's how we express God's goodness. So the one thing, once again, is that we must remember God's goodness to have a heart of forgiveness. This coming week in Life Group, we're going to do some things that hopefully will encourage you. Uh, I don't know if we're going to have time even today just to work through it, but if some of you, God is speaking to you, stick around. We'll love to pray with you, walk through some of these issues with you. But in Life Group, we're going to give some space. The leaders uh, are going to give some space for us to kind of work through some of these issues of forgiveness. But I want to give you a heads up, and even this coming week, maybe there's something you have to do tonight. So here are some next things that you got to think about. The first thing is this. Reflect on God's forgiveness story for you. Don't ever forget that story about how much you have sinned against God and He should have banished you away, but He loved you. Regardless, in spite of you, He saved you. Just, just reflect on that. Every single time I get like upset or some, someone bothers me about something, sometimes I just got to think about where my life would have been without Jesus. I got to think about how God has saved me, rescued me, redeemed me. I got to think about all the things that I did that was wrong that God somehow forgiven me. When we can't do that, then we don't understand the gospel. That just shows how self-righteous you are, how proud you are, how self-centered you are, how narcissistic you are. Because you make it all about you when it's not about you. It's about God. So reflect on this God's forgiveness story in your life. The second thing is this. Respond with how you want a response. What I'm simply saying is this. It's like the golden rule. To love people the way you want to be loved. That's why I asked you earlier, have you thought about the people that you've hurt? How would you want them to respond to you when you did something really bad to them? Man, we all want to receive grace and mercy, don't we? We all want to be forgiven. But we don't do that for ourselves. I wouldn't even have time to go into that passage about the unmerciful servant who was forgiven of all his huge debt. He walks out. Can you imagine? This guy who paid for his Chinese food the other day, he sees him walking and goes, oh man, he owes me for my, the Chinese food that I bought him. When his debt of an apartment and a car and all that stuff, the king just says, it's forgiven. And now he's asking for, what, $24? And we're in Asia, so you got to get the exact change. And 95 cents. Respond every single time in these kind of situations with the way you would want them to people to respond to you when you have sinned against them. That helps. The third and last thing is this. Reach out in love and grace. And I don't know what that means to you. Some of you might have to write a letter and just express what you feel, but then don't leave it there like, I hate you, you're evil, blah, 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 and then bye. You know, because that's not the kind of response we want. That's how I felt but because of His grace. 
This is where I am. What's up, brother? What, what note are you going to start with? G? E? E's okay. It's God. Man, I love the worship team. Amen? Amen. Uh, I hope some of you who also have passion for worship, somehow you guys can uh, participate in the future. Praise God. What was it say? Reach out, love and grace. However God speaks to you. This last video as we close. Actually, it, it actually really got me all misty-eyed. <laughs> and you know me. I don't know. Maybe as I get older, like anything makes me cry. I'm not really like an animal lover, but if I now see an animal who looks like they're suffering, I'm like, oh. You know, I was never like that. Maybe that's what, what happens when you start getting older. You realize how you're still messed up, but God's grace is good. Amen. <laughs> Maybe that's why you get more humble. But the story is about two strangers who've never met before, but they did end up meeting through a tragedy. And it was such a powerful testimony. The world, the secular world, had to interview them because they could not understand why this would happen. And I just pray that you understand that forgiveness is one of the most powerful forces in the world that the world will never understand. That's why when you do understand it, there's not a single person in this world who will not give their lives to Jesus Christ. I pray that you'll watch this. Think about some people that have hurt you. And may the Holy Spirit prompt you as you reflect on your own God's forgiveness story. As you then respond in a way that you want to be responded to when you sit. And that somehow you will then give grace and love to other people who are around you. Let's watch this together as we close. Let's uh, stand as we close. Can we do that? Since much time has gone by, I'm going to I'm just going to pray for us. I just want to challenge us if you really are a Christ follower and you experience this gospel. Like those types of stories should come up more often in your life and in our church. I'm not saying it's easy because you, you know where I stand on that because it's hard. Everything in my flesh tells me, get revenge. Don't forgive that person. They don't deserve it. But when you do understand the gospel, you want to respond in loving people. And not only a witness, you could be a great witness because the world can't explain it. Why would you do that? Can I just challenge us today before you go? Some of you right now are not growing in your relationship with God so obvious. Everyone knows. You're not growing. And I'm wondering if one of the major reasons why you're not growing spiritually is so you have a bitterness in your heart and a lack of forgiveness. 
Stop blaming people. Take responsibility. Be proactive. As you get to know God's goodness more, may it fill your heart to be able to bless other people. And maybe one day you'll be able to reconcile. Even if you cannot because they don't want to admit it or whatever, it's not dependent on how they respond to you. But it's dependent upon what you do as God speaks to you. That's where you're going to receive freedom and joy. And I pray that the Spirit of God will move you in that way. Heavenly Father, we thank you for charging all the debt and all that we needed to repay. You canceled that out and put it into Jesus' account. It was charged to Jesus by dying on the cross. And then through his righteousness, now we're made, we're imputed into this righteousness. We thank you for that. And we're just praying, Lord, that your Holy Spirit will speak to us of anyone or a situation that has caused us to have forgotten the gospel for ourselves. To those people that we cannot forgive or we cannot love, May we reflect on our forgiveness story, how you've loved us, forgiven us, and may it motivate us to love because we're experiencing things that we don't deserve. We pray for your grace and your mercy over our lives. I just pray that in our church, in our community, it'll be a forgiving one. It'll be a loving one. Knowing that we are going to hurt each other knowing that it is easy, Lord, to forget about our story. But Lord, I pray that we will sharpen each other to love the way Christ loved us, to serve and to support, encourage one another as Christ has done for us. So Lord, I just release a a spirit of forgiveness that through your spirit as you empower us, Lord, whoever it may be, Lord, we can let them go of the prison of our hearts and be set free so that we can love you, love others, and then keep on growing. We just thank you, Lord, for your good work. And we lift us up in Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net.